Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. A life saved is worth everything. It was worth everything to Jesus. Your life is worth everything to us. The lives of the people who aren't even here yet are worth everything to us. And I love the faith in the house of God. You know, we're doing a, a series um, about Abram. Abraham, his name was later changed to. And, and it says in the, in the word of God that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we've been studying what's faith and risk and Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, God told Abram, you have to leave your country and go. That takes faith. Abram's like, where am I going? God says, uh, like he says to you sometimes, we'll talk about it. (laughs) Leave and go. Leave it. You have to leave your old life behind you to enter into a new life. But the trouble is, you know, Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He just leaves out the middle part. And the middle part is what takes faith. Faith to, to, without faith, it is, you must believe that God is and that he, uh, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. There's two parts of that. You must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You, you even come to God in the first place by faith. Uh, last week, Pastor Aaron uh, preached. One of all y'all gals afterwards told me she needed to preach more. Um, okay okay wow I thought she killed it she taught us how to raise children of promise not children of opportunity I think uh, opportunity like it, it's, it's uh, what, what, what do you say that thing was it's detours disguised as shortcuts <laughs> like you think you're taking a shortcut to your child's destiny or to your own destiny. You know, no, faith is like, no, no, hold on for the promise of God. You, you set your lives up around the promise of God. Today I'm uh, preaching a sermon called Salute. I, I think the salute is a lost art in Canada. I don't know if we've ever really had it all that much. The salute. See, you, you come from an old way of life where you, the democracy of sin, where everybody just does what they want to do. And like, just as long as it doesn't kind of mostly damage other people. And you just do whatever you want to do. And then you come in and you find Christ. And, and there's this, like, all of a sudden you come into this thing called a kingdom. And, like, left is right and up is down. And the stuff you want to do, God's like, don't do. And the stuff you don't want to do, forgive. <laughs> Give. Forgive. Those two things, mostly. And, and you come into the kingdom of God and you find out this is not like how it was before. And you have to do this, uh, this shift. It has to be the shift into a life of faith if you want to please God. Um, even if you get married, uh, you've got any married people in the house. Even if you get married, you know that you have to do the shift when you get married. So uh, I was uh, asked my mom if I could share this story. My mom and my dad, when she got married, part of what attracted her to dad and, and his family was that her family were kind of opposites. You got any opposites attracting? Um, so... I love my mom. <laughs> I'm going to be preaching about like, oh, children, obey your parents and honor your father and mother. And I honor my mom. My, my mom is, um, but I asked her if I could share the story. And she's like, yeah. And then don't forget this part because it's funny too. And I love how she separates herself from her failures. And so in a way, she's just honoring the work that God has done in her life. And you look at my folks and you're like, oh my goodness, I wish I had what they had. They probably started with more than I did. They didn't. No, didn't. They just worked hard. <laughs> they just worked hard and lived a life of faith. 
And so um, when mom and dad first got married, my mom's family, she said it was just like living on a powder keg, you know, like nobody knew when dad was going to lose his mind, when everybody was going to lose their minds. They were just walking around on eggshells. You got anybody coming from that? Like, just like, manipulation central. Um, and she met dad, and dad's this like, just calm. I never heard him yell. I mean, he should have yelled at me as a kid. I just never heard him yell. I'm a little different. <laughs> but dad's more like Jesus than Pastor Corey. But mom married dad for this uh, stability that, that, uh, that he brought. A life of faith will give you stability, but stability so that you can walk on water. And just walk around on eggshells. And, and, um, and so she marries dad. And, and what she used to do, one of her tactics in an argument, she said, was she used to slam cupboard doors. And mom's like, oh, don't forget to say this part. She's like, the very thing that attracted me to your dad also just used to infuriate me because I just couldn't get him to argue with me about stuff. And so, so she says that she was, uh, she'd be slamming covered doors and stomping around the house. Do we got any stompers? You're, you're mad and that's how you... I'm mad right now. Stomping around the house. Stomp, 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 stomp. You can tell how some people are feeling because they stomp. And... Uh, she, says, uh, she said, your dad just used to sit there at the table, and he would just look at me, and go, I don't know what you get out of that. Now I got to go get my tools and fix the cupboard. <laughs> I love how honest my mom is. You know, I, I, when you're honest about uh, where God has taken you from, somebody else here is like, oh, I can change too. I... I Right? But sometimes the very thing that attracts you about God, the faith in the impossible and the impossible, uh, you know, your sins, like uh, whoever thought that a sinner's soul could be saved. And the very things that attract you about God are the very things that you find difficult because the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom that you came from. And um, it's just different. It's just different. Jesus says in this place, um, in, in John chapter 15, he says uh, this, which is how you treat your friends too. You are my friends if you do what I command. You are my friends if you do what I command. Try that out sometime. <laughs> we can hang out more uh, if you do everything that I say. Uh, some of y'all are like that, but. It's like invite Pastor Corey over and be like, hey, it's cool. Like, I want to hang out with you, but like, you got to do everything that I say. And then we can be friends, right? But you come to God and you come to this kingdom and he has the nerve of acting like he's the king of the universe. And the very thing that attracts you to him, this stability, this salvation, this impossible thing becomes a, quite a problem because you have to learn how to live by faith and it's different, like, hey, let's hang out, but just do what I tell you, and that needs to be the basis of our friendship, and then everything will work out. And we have no template. You come in from the world, and that's not how your friendships work here. That's not how your marriage works. That's not how anything works here. Like, okay, just do everything that I say. And we struggle, and we come to God because we're quite used to, like, sharing who gets to make the rules. And then we come to Jesus, and Jesus is telling his guys here, like, cool, I'd love to be best friends. So uh, do everything that I say. Also, some logical person out there is like, so, um, so if I don't do what he says, what does that make me? 
Bible would say that would make you an enemy of God. Jesus came to reconcile enemies. He came to reconcile you while you were at odds with God. And he knew you're never going to be able to work your way into this, uh, this righteousness. And so Jesus sacrificed himself. And then Jesus is like, for us to go forward, this is how it needs to work. And I realized, you know what? He's saying something here. He's saying like, look, I need to, to teach you to obey because uh, obedience, uh, faith, you can't please God without faith. But faith in, in, is in essence obedience to what you can't uh, see yet. I was thinking, you know, how do you raise your kids today? Do you, do you raise your kids like that? Do you, do you raise your kids like God is trying to raise his kids? Here's the fracture in, in society is that we kind of get things a little bit backwards here. So um, I think the most important thing you can teach your kids to do is the Bible says, I was reading this in my personal devotion time uh, this week. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Oh, you mean obey like when, when they're being good parents? <laughs> Teenagers, holla back. It says, honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And the inverse must be true then. If you don't learn how to honor your father and mother, you're going to have a short life and a crummy life. It's not going to go well with you. Did you know that the teaching your children to obey and honor you is the best thing that you can teach them? But it's not the best thing. It needs to be, listen, listen, the first thing. Come on now. The first thing. Do you know why uh, it's in the Bible like that? And then it goes into this whole, uh, in Ephesians 6, it goes into like, hey, servants, obey your masters. What he's talking about is like uh, servants back then were doctors and carpenters and so employees. Obey your bosses as unto the Lord. Well, it ain't Jesus. Do it anyways. What? But what if... But, but. I had a boss one time. He used to do that to me. He used to drive me crazy. He's Pastor Corey now. I'm still human, after all. I'm only human. And a bit Irish. Obey first. Why do, why do we do that? Why do we do that? My dad taught me to obey first. Do you know why? Do you know why? So I wouldn't get hit by a car. That's why. You teach your kids to obey first. You obey first. You obey first. You obey first. And Neela, she's the last one, so she got no common sense. She, <laughs> you got sisters and somebody will figure it out. She's chasing a ball across the street. When I yell, or when mom yells, she has to stop first. First, first, if she doesn't stop first, we got no time for the rest. I'll tie this in, into your life as a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you're exploring faith. I want you to know what it's going to be like and how free you can be, but you have to be free of this other thing that says, are you ready? Um, God would say this, obey first, let's put this up, not think Feel, well, I'm preaching. Uh, understand or agree. First, you want to be friends of God? Sure, Jesus. Like, do what I command. The rest will come later. 
Well, now you've got to think about this. Think about this. Think about this. Um, you and I, that's not how we live. I obey my boss when I agree. When she talks to me nice and I feel right. All right, come on. When uh, I understand what the boss understands. When, when I, teenagers, man, I'm just like, moms, you should be like, yeah. Give your teenager an elbow in there. Listen to pastor. Yeah. But when I think the same and when I agree and when I did you know here's here's a little tidbit for you here. Can I just I'm just gonna throw this out there. Did you know that um thinking first and agreeing first and feeling first and understanding first, that that's how the devil makes decisions? And he would actually obey God if he agreed with God. You are in poor company if that's how you make decisions because that's how he makes decisions. Then you come into this kingdom of God where God has the nerve to be king and say, hey, we can hang out and I can redeem your life and I can probably give you all the rest of it anyways, but I just need you to do this one thing first. Obey first. The children, obey, honor. Did you know that... But then, then the argument is always like, but they, I, I can't obey everything and you know, everything is a moral issue. Like my boss wants me to fill out the paperwork this way and it's just immoral. It's not a more, it's just paperwork, y'all. You're not asking to sacrifice anything. Just relax, just relax. Right? Yeah, well, my mom expects me to clean my room every day. There's not a person in the world who understands how I feel right now. You're right, nobody care. Nobody care. Nobody care. It's not an issue of morality, and it's an issue of obedience. And we make it moral issues like, they hurt me. Did you obey first? Let's talk about how you feel next. Yeah. Yeah. Obey first. Yeah. You might be hurt because they asked you to do something and you failed and then you feel embarrassed and that's why you feel hurt. You feel a little sorry for yourself because you screwed something up and then you feel a little embarrassed and then you're like, ooh, and then you're in a power struggle that didn't need to be there in the first place if you would have learned to obey first. So you obey first and, and then, you, then you do the other stuff next. There, there was some... Um, a man was, ta- uh, was toured through a, a submarine commander's uh, sub. And every room that they walked into, all the sailors would stand and salute. And so the commander would walk into the room and they would stand and salute. And then he would have to salute and then release the salute before everybody could uh, re- release their salute and then go back to what they were doing. And in the first couple of rooms, the, the man with the submarine captain was like, this is cool. <laughs> Girls, you don't understand. Guys, they're just like, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, by the time they got through all the rooms of the sub, every room, stand, salute. Guys got to stop. Stand. He can't just walk from one end to the other. He, stand, salute, stand, and salute. By the time he was done, he, he's like, you do this every day? He says, to, he says to the guy something like, isn't this extremely painful? And he says, oh, it's terribly painful. He's like, it just, it's disruptive. It's, I mean, just along these lines of like, it is not efficient. Yeah. Yeah. He says, why do you do it? Well, what the salute? Why do you salute? Why, why, do, you, why do they have to salute? And he says, he says, we do it. He says, I do it because if I don't, their life expectancy in battle goes down. The percentage of people who make it in battle in the areas of the military that salute their commanding officers goes way up. He says, I do it to save their lives. Because in battle, we don't have time to figure out who's in charge. We don't have, 
No, you've seen, but Pastor Corey, we're not in battle. We're Canadians. I mean, we have a military. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. No, 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 we're not like a military state, which is also what makes us completely unprepared in some regards to come into a kingdom of God because we don't know how it works. We don't know how to think. We don't understand this. But um, see, when you're in the democracy of sin, you, you go and you sit in a dungeon of sin and the devil will kind of leave you alone in there because you're already a bit miserable and he's miserable and he's got you. He just got time. Like, you know that, I mean, living in your sin with no hope of the future, no hope of heaven, and no hope of connection with God, you are already miserable. He doesn't really need to go after you and hurt you. But the thing is, when, when somebody comes in and opens that prison door and introduces you to Jesus, you don't step from there onto a cruise ship. You don't go from there into like, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to lie down and have a nap. You go to the, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death part. You walk into a war. See, you, you, you weren't uh, on the devil's mind before that. But now uh, somebody hands you a sword and says, put on the armor of God. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, and then put on the armor of God. It's all in the same chapter. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against. Here's why we obey. Here's why we have to look. I've got a very narrow window of time in your life, and, and your small group leaders, we have a very narrow window of time in your life. If you come to Christ or you get baptized or, or you're like, you know what? I've been going to church for 20 years, and now I'm going to take it for real. Like, we're going to go now. And you, I have this narrow window of time because if I don't teach you how to obey, you're going to get shot in the face. We don't have time in a huddle. Look, do you want to be on the team that wins? Do you want to be on the side that wins? Or do you want to sit there and argue about every play that God wants you to run? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to get tackled. God's like, you just need to get tackled so the team can win, so that the souls of the people around you can be saved. And so we come into this thing, and we have to enter this military mindset where it's obey first, then I'll feel, then I'll think, then I'll understand, and then I'll agree. This is why what has kept some of you apart from God's essence in your life is because you put this condition on him. I will obey you if. You put a gun to God's head and say, I have to understand this like you do. God's like, you could live to be a million, and that's not going to happen. Do you want the blessing of the promise? Or not? Or do you want to live in your flesh for the rest of your life? Obey, obey first, or get hit by a car. Obey first, or get shot in the face. Obey first. We, we have to learn how to obey uh, first. It's, it's funny that, um, it's funny that my, my dad used to play a lot of baseball, and he said, there was a kid on a team that the, the coach uh, called for him to put a sacrifice bunt down to make a runner go forward. He was going to get thrown out at first. He says, uh, dad says, this kid stepped up and hit a triple. So this kid's standing on third base now. After the coach had said, you got to remember, like this is back in the Old Testament times. <laughs> and my dad said, my coach walked over to third base calmly and said, if you ever hit a triple when I tell you to sacrifice bunt, you will never play on this team. You can sit on the bench till you learn how to do the play that I called you to do. This is not about you hitting a triple. This is about the team winning the game. You can't go around making independent decisions all the time because here's what, here's what happens, here's what happens, here's what happens. So in your life, you're going about your life and, and God's like, hey, get out of the trench and charge the enemy. Like, walk over to your neighbors, like, hey, I know you're having a fight with your wife right now, but just get up and go. Like, you have to go do this thing. You have to go do this thing. Get out of the trench, and you're just like, if I get out of the trench right now, I am emotionally unprepared. There's bullets and stuff out there. 
What you don't see is that the other end of the trench is getting filled up with mustard gas because the devil don't fight clean. And you got to get out of the trench because you're going to get shot in the face if you stay where you are. And it's just like, go, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. And, and we learn to obey first. Then how you feel and how you think and what you understand and what you agree with. Then God actually, the Holy Spirit starts working on that part of you. Oh man, that's preaching. Um, you wonder what made Abraham so powerful, the father of faith. You, you wonder, everybody looks at the person on top and is like, awesome, everybody gets to salute him. But let me show you a kind of an obscure story from his life that you'll start to see why he was the father of faith and why God could use him because, because he understood the value of a salute. It, it says um, uh, in, in Genesis 14, that the victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, uh, not Gomorrah from that movie, The Avengers, different Gomorrah, and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supply. So Abram had a, a nephew named Lot, and um, they divided some of the land up. And Lot went over here, but he says he kind of pitched his tent near Sodom and Gomorrah and, like, not a good place. Like, why even turning the TV on if, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't open your laptop if all you're going to do is, right? And so he just, like, he, he pitched his tent here. And because of his association, because of who he started to salute in his life, because here's the thing, um, learning to salute, you're already saluting something, God is not coming in as a new God in your life. He's coming in to replace the old God. You're already saluting something. You just need to learn to salute the, the real thing. Saluting sin and doing what you want. You're just saluting the devil and living for him. He's got you in the end anyways. I mean, you make him miserable. And so, uh, so Lot was already uh, saluting the, the guys of, of these cities. And so five kings attacked. Uh, these guys then rebelled against, I think it was five kings. And the five kings beat them. And because of his association, because of your association, he was led off as captive. Now, now, now enter Abram into the story. It says they captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he, he owned. It didn't say that he lived in Sodom originally, but it kind of, he started, and then he just kind of, and then he just kind of, I'm not even going to preach that, because you know what I'm talking about. And it says, but one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, the guys of Mamre. When Abram uh, heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he, listen, mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. He mobilized. First of all, Abram is like, this is my family. Now he is mobilizing 318 train servants. These were not uh, swords for hire. Train servants in his house. Uh, trained how? Well, you can imagine that if it was my nephew that was doing something stupid, and I'm like, hey, we're going to go take on you know, the, ulti- you know, the, the equivalent of five kings right now, who just beat four kings, and we're just going to take the people that we know. <laughs> Which includes you. You see, not 318 Canadians, because y'all wouldn't have gone. You'd have been like, Lot can get shot in the face. I don't even, I haven't seen him in years. I don't care what else. Like. He mobilized, Abram mobilized. He's like, no, 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 no. See, God mobilized him and said, go after Lot. I mean, even if your neighbor has blown it, even if somebody, even if your teenager has blown it, God still loves them and God does not want them to be a captive. And he's like, mobilize your people, let's go. Well, we might get shot. You might get shot. Yeah, you might. It's worth it. 
It's worth coming out of the war with uh, some wounds and some burns. It's worth it. It's worth. You can get patched up in the hospital. You can get back out in the field. And so he mobilizes 318 trained men. So now these men, you have to understand, this is what he trained them to do. Salute. Salute. Our lives are tied to your life. Salute. Let's do this. And then he does something interesting. He says he's pursued the army until he caught up with them at Dan. Then he divided his men and attacked during the night. He took 318 men, divided them, because that makes military sense. Was the Holy Spirit whispering in his ear? Hey, divide your men. There's little pocket men. And little guys. Hey, Gideon, um, I know you're starting with tens of thousands, but why don't you take them down to the... First of all, why don't you ask if anybody's afraid, then you can send them home. Cause... And then, uh, then go down to the, to the brook, and anybody who you know, just pushes their face in the water, <laughs> you can send them home too. 300 people are left, and, he, and Gideon's like, I think I heard God wrong. Because uh, the odds at first were like three to four to one, and now Gideon is facing odds of 300 to one. And God says to Gideon, um, hey, I have a plan. And all the Gideons, man, all that's left were the crazy people anyways. Come on, Venue Church. All of those left was the crazy people anyways. And they're just like, he's like, I have a plan. Uh, we're going to divide you. 300 to 1. Let's divide you up. I got this plan. I got this idea. Let's divide you up. In one hand, we're going to give you a ram's horn like a trumpet. In the other hand, we're going to give you a torch and cover it with like a clay pot. And some guy, some guy, some very clever guy is like. What about swords? I got two hands. One, two. And Gideon's like, I got this plan. Then I'm going to spread you all out. And then you're going to yell stuff and it'll work out. Trust me. <laughs> and it worked out. I miss my workout, but it worked out. <laughs> well, Chance the Rapper for you. I don't know if you know, but... You can miss your workout and it'll work out. Listen, just learn how to obey. He divides his men and, and attacks him. And then it says, Abram chased him as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abraham recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. There's more at stake than just your life. You have to learn to obey. There, is, there are women, there are children, there are victims, there are the abused. There are, there's a whole culture out here that needs saving. It's more than just about you and your life and your comfort. And then it says this, Abram returned from his victory. Uh, the king of Sodom went out to meet him uh, in the king's valley. And Melchizedek, okay, now this is where all this is sort of going. Melchizedek, um, um, the king of Salem or Jerusalem, that's just what they used to call it. And, um, and a priest of God Most High. Don't miss that. So Abraham is the father of faith, but you know what he's not? He's not a priest. It's not a priest. He meets the priest of God Most High. Um, he brought uh, Abram some bread and, and wine. And then it says this, Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Now, in ancient culture, you know, like my kids, for them to bless me, you know, like how are they really going to bless me? 
all, they have my, all of my stuff. What are they going to bless me with? My stuff? Right? And so in the ancient culture, though, you, you were blessed by this, the person who is greater, blessed the person who is lesser. And in this moment here, you see Abram takes this whole, like he's just come back from this victory, but he's not a priest of God. And now he meets a representative of God Most High. And um, there's this whole study about Melchizedek that I could talk about. There's a thought that he could have been the son of God before Bethlehem. Like the fourth one in the fire, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and the fourth one looks like the son of God, you know, the fourth one in the flames. And so it's like Jesus was just maybe checking out the mission. <laughs> just checking it out like, ooh, ugh. Yeah. But it says Melchizedek. I mean, there's this whole thing in the New Testament about him not having record of father, mother, or descendants. And just like, where did he come from? And where did he go? And yet it's interesting that, that Abram, when he meets this priest of God most high, that he salutes him. And, and then he receives this blessing from him because that's what the salute brings you. Listen, I teach my kids to honor me not because I need it, but because they reap what they sow. They will reap honor if I teach them how to honor. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them. Obedience has nothing to do with the other person. It has everything to do with you. And then you will reap what you sow. And you only reap what you sow. And he, that was going to be the kicker of my message. I'm just going to have to come up with a different one, I guess. He says, Blessed be Abraham, God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies to you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. And that's for, for Pastor Aaron and I. I'll just hit this quick and move on. Every paycheck that we get, we just salute God with a tenth. Honor God with the first fruits. I'm remembering that you're God and I'm not, and this came from you, and let's just keep that straight. I used to call my boss at work, boss, all the time. I don't know if he liked it or not. I just like pick up the phone, hey boss. Hey boss, hey boss, why'd I do that? He knew he was the boss. Why'd I do that? His wife in the office, they knew they were the boss. Hey boss, what do you want? Okay, yep. I was reminding myself. I was reminding myself that when push comes to shove, you're not the boss. Suggestions? Oh, I'll argue about something going up, but when it comes down, I like a paycheck. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, boss. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The salute reminds soldiers that they don't call the shots in battle. They do their job. And what we do right now in our society is that we've got 50 million periscopes trying to go out of the sub, everything trying to see something. <laughs> One periscope, y'all. It doesn't work. Fish. Turn the whole ship. It was a fish. What are you doing? You just freaked out about a fish. You know, just go back to doing your thing, but I want to do his thing. He gave him a tenth of all. And then the king of Sodom said to Abram, watch what happens. Give back my people who, who were captured. Abram didn't need to do this either. And if I was Abram and just had 318 awesome guys that just destroyed this, everybody run away from me, I'd be like, maybe. No, no, watch what Abram does. He says, but you may keep, the king of Sodom says, you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram's like, thanks, I already got the goods. But watch what he does. He replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God Most High. He's like, yes, I recognize your authority, but there's this other thing that I'm saluting to more. Because uh, God had promised Abraham uh, riches. But, but watch this, watch this. God had promised Abraham riches, and here are riches. But, but Abraham felt by the Spirit of God, he's like, nope, not like that. Nope, not from you. Watch this. No, no, you can keep the raise. 
I'll keep working as hard as I can. Keep the raise. Keep the money. Am I preaching? God promised me riches, but we got to do this thing God's way. He said, uh, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high creator of heaven and earth that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. I feel like we just lost all the lights, everybody. (laughs) Oh, it's funny now. (laughs) And he says... uh, I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. Abram, uh, he saluted God and he gave back after he took the tenth out. He gave back, he took 10%, gave it to the king of Sodom and said, I'm honoring God with this thing. He was left with nothing. And he said, you know what? God told me that I'm not supposed to take it from you. Because then you'll take credit for what only God can do in my life. And there's riches, and then there's riches with God. And I want riches with God, and we're just going to do this His way, and yeah. I'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be okay without it. It's, we come into this place. Come on, Vanny. We come into this place where God is like, I just need to be obeyed so that I can bless you. That the promise only comes through obedience, and, and it takes uh, faith to obey, and it takes no faith if you already understand and already agree and already feel it. He's like, sometimes I just need a thing done so that I can bring blessing on you. And that's the condition of the blessing. The prophecies, they were all conditional on the obedience of the people. Even salvation is conditional on faith. And God has mercy on sinners. But if you want to be a friend of God, we have to learn how to do what we're told. And and this is our hang up, though, because we want to be the one to judge the person that God has sent to us to obey. That we're supposed to obey. We want to be the one that looks at them and decides whether their hearts are in a good place or not. And I thought about this. And, and the way that I would explain this to you is this. If, if I send my daughter Neela to go and talk to Ailish, And Ailish is having a bad day. But she still needs to do the dishes or whatever. And I send Neela up there. And, and this has never happened in our home. <laughs> our kids are perfect. Um, but if I send Neela there and say, Dad wants you to go do the dishes. Mom wants you to go do the dishes. And, and uh, is it really about Neela? No. It's not really about your boss. Teenagers, it's not about your mom. No, no. God gave you people to obey so that he could release the blessing and the promise to you. God gave me uh, hard bosses to work for that were not like Jesus in any way that I can recall. And yet he taught me how to obey them and honor them so that he could bless me no matter what was going on in the circumstance around me. No matter who had work and who had jobs and who had contracts, I had work. Why? Because I learned how to obey from here. Servants, obey your masters as unto God. And I had to learn how to do that, but they don't look like God. But it doesn't matter because it wasn't about them in the first place. And, and so Elish, um she might say to Neela, well, you're Neela, and I know who you are. And it would be like me sending Katie to the production team. And they're like, you're on the bottom of the totem pole, Katie. You're 12. And she'd be like, but Dad said. Right? But Dad said, Ailish. And what we do is we get worried about the Neela that God sends us. But you know, um, if Neela delivers the message wrong or gets it wrong, do you know whose problem Neela is? Mine. Don't get between me and Neela. I can probably handle it. When you obey, your boss's life is God's problem. 
doesn't need your help. He's God, remember? He can work it out. He can get you exactly where you need to be, whether it makes sense to the boss or not. He can get you the career you need. He can get you the, come on, the future husband you need. He can do it all. He can do it all like that because he's God and he can. He's just like, if you learn to obey first, I'll take care of the rest of it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that there would be this humble, uh, humble thing that happens in our heart that obedience requires. We can't be proud and obey at the same time. Sometimes we're like, but my heart's not in a good place yet. And God's like, it's not going to be until you obey, actually. I can't actually do anything uh, until you do in your own heart. And when we obey, what happens is, um, Father... You release your Holy Spirit to us to change our hearts and to change the hearts of the hard people around us and to change our understanding and help us to start agreeing with how the kingdom, how the kingdom works and how you work. And, and Father, until we obey, you really don't have much to work with in our lives. And I pray that we would just reverse everything from the way we used to do things. We need to come into the kingdom where we obey first and then we think and then we understand and then we agree and, and then we feel. And really start trusting you, God, and that you would simplify and clarify our lives. And we would learn to obey so that you can shift our hearts to where they need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.